Typically, our scripture reading is from the passage that's going to be preached on, but this morning, our scripture reading is from Acts 15. And if you're using a pew Bible in front of you, that's on page 923. Page 923. We're going to be reading Acts 15, starting in verse 1. The reason that we're reading this instead of um, 2 Corinthians 11 is because 2 Corinthians 11 talks about some false apostles. And what we're going to read here in Acts 15 is going to give clarity to what John Tierney is going to come and preach on. So starting in verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and to the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by mouth, by mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has, been, has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas and Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the disciples, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are 
of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Sicilia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some pe persons have gone out from us, troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, whom themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time there, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And after some days, Paul and Barnabas, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take him with the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthened, strengthening the churches. Let's pray. God, as we sit in these pews this morning, I pray that this would not just be another regular Sunday. We thank you so much for the proclamation of faith in Jason's baptism. And we pray that as we hear your word proclaimed faithfully, that it would be done with boldness and that we would hear it, and we would be sanctified and changed. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Mr. Tyre. That's a long chapter, but that is so important for what we're going to study today. Um, by the way, greetings. I was, I was thinking this morning, I don't think anyone, I've ever, ever seen anybody get thrown off this platform but when I thought about how greeting you, I might greet you this morning, I thought, what if I said, happy holidays? <laughs> that wouldn't be good, would it? <laughs> I won't do that. We, we were, there's so much going on this morning. It's been a great morning so far. God called on us to celebrate two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and we were, we've been blessed to do that this morning. Um, so it... I, I found myself sitting this morning saying, now I have to wrestle all that joy away from it and talk about some difficult things, you know, that we face. But we need to be vigilant as Christians or we will lose those things. And that's a lot of what this text is about this morning. Having said that, when I, I thought about I thought about the happy holidays and Merry Christmas and, and, and what I was thinking through with this passage early on was that when, when our nation was founded, 
the, the guys that wrote the Constitution wrote it out, and they were wise enough to put in the fact that you could amend the Constitution. And the very first amendment to the United States Constitution says in part, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment or of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And a lot of people in Christian churches right now are worried about that last part. Seems like persecution is, is on its way. And people are concerned about that. We don't like persecution. You know, is persecution coming? Well, maybe it is. But I think what, what we, we need to remember is Jesus said, remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. The apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. In some form or another, persecution will come to every Christian's life. But, thank God, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that includes persecution. I don't want to be cavalier about this, though. Persecution is horrible. Real persecution of Christian people is horrible. But, and this this concerns our text today, at the same time, it's very possible that the church, the worldwide church of Jesus Christ, is healthiest and purest when persecution is at its worst. It's always been that way. At the very beginning of our text today, Paul says, I promised you, he says this to the Corinthians, but he's saying it to us, I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. And he said, I'm scared. You can read it in your text. He said, I'm scared. I'm afraid you might be led astray from this pure devotion to to your groom, pure devotion to Jesus. But it wasn't because of persecution. The greatest threats to the purity of the church have always been and will always be from within. Again, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. I I was studying for this and and I was listening to a commentator and and just hearing him say, you've heard that, if you've been around church forever, you've heard that verse, but he said, I'm sending you out as, as sheep amongst wolves. Wolves rip sheep to pieces. It's not I'm sending you out into a kind of a difficult situation. I'm sending you out with wolves. They'll they'll try to rip you apart. That's what we face. 1 Timothy 4 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith. Paul talked about devotion to Christ. He says here, Timothy says, or Paul says to Timothy, by devoting themselves, giving devotion to deceitful spirits and to teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. And that's what we're going to kind of talk about today. What did Paul say? He said, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. 
The main idea in our passage today is how to recognize false apostles, false teachers, false leaders, false doctrine, false Jesus, a false gospel, anything, anything that would lead you astray. But it starts with the leaders. Anything that will lead you, as Paul said, astray from a sincere and pure, pure devotion to Christ. And so we'll have three points today. The first will be what's the marks of a false apostle? What are the marks of a true apostle? And the Christian's responsibility to know the difference. And that is our responsibility. Every person here has to know, otherwise you'll fall victim. So the first thing we'll do is look at the marks of a false apostle. Now, the text we're looking at today, verses 1 through 29, the heart of the passage is in verses 13 through 15. So you might turn there if you're not there already. But verse 4 sets it up. And so we're going to look at all that. Verse 4 states the problem. Verses 13 through 50 state the reasons for the problem that Paul's dealing with. So let's look at those verses. Verse 4, Paul says, For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Some versions say splendidly. You put up, put up with it beautifully. That verse, verse 4, is loaded with truth. And as I said, it states the problem very clearly. For the moment, though, the key word, as you're looking at it now, the, the key word we want to look at at the moment is someone. Because in verses 13 through 15, we find out who that someone is. So verses 13 through 15 say this. For such men, those are the someone, such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, and they're disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Again, what did Paul say in verse 3? I'm afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure, pure devotion to Christ. So what's the problem? The problem is you have these people who have been taught the truth by an apostle, a true apostle, and therefore they should know the truth. And yet they have welcomed false apostles with their false everything into their pulpit. And they have done so with open arms. The reason for the problem is that they were deceived. They were deceived by the father of lies and by his servants. Let's keep pushing forward. We'll look at what the false apostles, what, what are they marked by? And first of all, they're marked by deceit and disguise. If you turn to the book of Acts, if, you're, if you've got, if you remember where you just were, Acts 15, thank you, Jordan, again for reading that. If you turn to Acts 15 and look down at verses 23 through 27, because there's so, this is a very important part of, of what we're talking about today. So Acts 15, verses 23 through 27. I am going to have you turn in pages today. You'll enjoy the exercise. Okay. Verse 23 starts off, the brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Okay, here's what the false apostles do, all right? He says this, since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, 
it seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. Okay, verse 24. He says, since you, we have heard, okay, it came back to us, hey, we found out that some persons came up from us. Us means Jerusalem. Someone could come up to you and say, I go to Gray Road. I went to Gray Road. I was a Baptist. I was this. Oh, okay, so you're one of us. They come in with this pretense, okay? And, but they say, I remember what we taught there. I remember that. But you know what? And that's the beginning of it. Oh, yeah, 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 that's good. But, and what does that do? That causes trouble. That unsettles people. If you're not grounded in your faith, and some people are just new in the faith, and so you have to grow, but that's unsettling. You know, we teach electives here from time to time, and we'll teach, um, we'll teach how to defend your faith to people. And, and when I've taught that class, I'll walk in usually with something that you haven't heard before, and I'll say, does that bother you? And people go, yeah. Because it's a, it's a kind of, a, it sounds like Christianity, but it's not. And there's stuff like that everywhere. These false apostles are on TV, they're on the radio, they're everywhere. They're at your work, they're at your school, they're your friends, they could be your families. But the point here is that they cause trouble, okay? They're unsettling you is what he says, unsettling your minds. He says, but we gave them no instructions. They are liars, they go out as if they've been sent, but they were not. That's their pattern. Their pattern is huge. We didn't have time. I thought, let's cover everything. We'd be here, well, we'd be here late. Let's put it that way. Okay, their, their schemes are massive because the devil has done this. All right, but he says that we gave them no instruction. They're out on their own. So the second thing they do then, I, I said disturbance and doubt, they create these questions. This goes all the way back to Genesis 3. All the way back. But let's, for the moment, actually, I want to talk about Acts 15, 24 again. The troubling with words and unsettling your minds should be a key to you right then and there. What are you going to do when someone comes to you and they say, yeah, yeah, but where are you going to turn? If you belong to this church, call the church. Call one of the elders. If you're in a growth group, call your growth group leader. Don't shrink back and say, I don't know. It's your, it's your eternity that's at stake here, okay? It's, it's you that has to take care of yourself. Your teachers are there. Your leaders are there from this church. But it's up to you to do the right thing. Who you listen to matters so much, okay? They trouble you with words. They unsettle your minds. If that's where you are at any point, you've got to turn back to your leadership and say, what's going on? Why, what are they talking about? It's everywhere, okay? Having said that, I think we need to stop and answer the question, what must I do to be saved? Because what was going on here was the saying, they were saying, no, no, you can believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but you have to follow the Old Testament Mosaic law to be saved, that's everything that was going on in Acts 15. No, 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 no. You can believe on the Lord, but you have to do these things as well. That's a false gospel, okay? So how does it get there? How do you get saved? Let me say this. Here's how it begins, all right? 
And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Amen? Mankind needed a Savior because mankind has sinned against God. 1 Timothy 1.15, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am foremost. So Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was God and is God in every way, was born into the world to save sinners. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, For I deliver to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So, we're building our case. Mankind needed a Savior. Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus Christ, the Son of, of God, was put to death. He was crucified by God for our sins, and He was buried, and it was over. No, it wasn't. Was it over? No. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, and he is now, our Savior is seated at the right hand of the Father. Amen. So, if that's the truth, and that is the truth, what must you do to be saved? From Acts chapter 16, if you want to turn to Acts 16, look at verses 25 through 32. Jason said he was in this church for four years and wasn't saved. No one really knows who is here and who isn't saved. How many of you have been here forever? Okay. Our Sunday school class, you guys come once a month. And my heart is boom, boom, boom for the, the struggles you face. And where you're going to go when you get out of the program. Look at these words. Not just you guys, but everybody. How can I be saved? Verse 25 about midnight, Paul and Silas, who were in prison, were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And so were the guards. And as you keep reading, they were preaching, folks, because it says, And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Because if you're the, the guard and the prisoners are gone, it's your life. He says, I'm going to get this over with now. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? You think they weren't preaching to those people? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Let's be clear. If you are saved, your household is not saved because you're a Christian. It's obvious if you read the context that he was talking about, hey, what about my family? What if they believe? Yes, it has to be that way. Don't let scripture get twisted. Okay? So he says, yes, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all were in his, who were in his house. So what must you do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that Christ died for your sins. Believe it with all your heart. 
Believe it with all your heart to the point that it affects your life. Okay? Ask God to forgive you of your sins. Repent of your sins. All of them. Turn away from your sin. Believing in Jesus has, should have an effect. There should be fruit in your life. Okay? But believe it with all your heart. Repent, 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 Jesus said when he started his ministry. You can't walk the same path. Live for Jesus, folks. If you're not saved and you want to know what it takes to be saved, again, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask God to forgive you of your sins. Repent of those sins and live for Jesus Christ. Let him be the Lord of your life. I remember when I got saved and I used to see this, this license plate or bumper sticker that said, God is my co-pilot. I didn't know what that meant, but when I got saved, I was like, oh, there's no co-pilot involved here. It's you're the pilot. I'm going to operate by what you say is true. My world at that time, I was a pretty moral guy. But God was my consultant. And I lived a life that was pretty straight and narrow. But there were some gray areas. And if I didn't know, I'd pray and ask God, what should I do? And maybe I'd get out a Bible or something. And if I didn't agree with it, I'd go, well, that's fine. But I'm the pilot. When you're saved, know this is your pilot's manual. Everything in here is for your instruction and your salvation. And you don't sway from this. You don't turn away from it. All right? You got to live for Jesus, though. Something very important here. Matthew 7, 21 has always rung loud in my head. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That does not mean you earn your way to heaven. That means your life has changed in a way that you want to follow Jesus Christ. Again, if you say, I believe everything I just heard, but it doesn't affect my life, your life is going to look that way. So you can't just say, I believe all these things. I've told this story before, but it's just, I'll never forget a girl I worked with who used to come to this church and was engaged to a guy who was not Christian at all. And she knew that. And I told her at work, you're unequally yoked. You can't marry this guy. She took him up to some church. And excuse me, this bogus pastor, I said it, said, Dave, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yep. Do you believe he died on a cross? Yep. Do you believe he rose again? Yep. Well, then you're saved and you're going to heaven. This guy wanted nothing to do with God at all. God is not a fool. God will be not, be not be mocked. There has to be some fruit in your life. You can't intellectually agree with the Bible and think that you're saved. And I pray, 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 God, that you'll convict whoever here today doesn't know that. Okay? All right. We need to get back to our text. Okay. Which concerns men who will lead you astray from the faith. And, and we're, we're talking about what they look like. They lie. They create a disturbance. Okay. The passage from Genesis chapter 3. He said to the woman, did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? But the serpent said to the woman, no, 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 no. You're not going to die. You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat... Of it, and your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Is that a bad thing? 
Would, would Eve think, well, oh, I don't want to be like God. No, it was very appealing to her. Well, that sounds really good. I'll be like God. We love God. I want to be like God. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, why not? She took of it its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her dimwit husband, who should have known better, but he did it. Sorry, guys. It's the truth. It all seemed pretty good to her. I know God said not to, but you make a good point here, she says. Okay? I want you to see something in, in the book of Colossians. If you don't mind turning to Colossians. Chapter 2. This is really important. And I'm going to read from a slightly different version. But this is so important based on what we're talking about today. Go to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4 and then verse 8. So Colossians 2 verses 1 through 4. Here's Paul talking about this. He says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. And I would propose that what Satan said to Eve was a very plausible argument. It made perfect sense. God is good all the time. All the time God is good. So eat. It lines up. It's not everything God told us, but it makes perfect sense. Verse 8 of Colossians chapter 2. Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive. How? By philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Again, this is where we get it. The Word of God. Paul talked about, hey, when I showed up, I wasn't coming across like some slick dude. We'll talk about that in a few minutes here, but it's the Word of God. All the power comes from the Word of God, not from some fancy argument, okay? So these guys cause dis dis disturbances, they, they, they disrupt things, they lie. But here's the last point about these guys. They're good. And you hate to say this, but they're good. You don't like to say, give the devil his due. But I, I kept going back to after 9-11... When we went into Afghanistan for the first time, because Al-Qaeda was there, and we're going to fight the Taliban, and the first few battles that the Marines fought, they won. But when those battles were over, I, I saw a special on this one time on the military, and, this, and those guys came out of battle, they analyzed the battles, they analyzed what happened, and they talked to the soldiers, and basically the soldiers said, these guys are good. They said, we can beat them, but they're good. 
And they needed to know that. Well, guess what? These guys are good. And you can't beat them on your own. You can't do it. Ephesians chapter 6 says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might, not yours. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That is so true. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not that guy at your door. It's not that nice lady at your door. It's not your coworker. It's against the rulers, the, against the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You're no match for them. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, no matter what you do, you take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and you take the helmet of salvation. You take, he says, extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one with your shield of faith. I believe this is true. I believe this is God's word. And that's all I need to know and that's your shield against all these attacks that come against you. It has to be God's word. It can't be you. Okay? All right. He said, 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. Praying at all times with all prayer and supplication. That's the only way you can beat these guys. That's the only way. Proverbs says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit goes for, before a fall. I think the southern something version of the Bible there says, you ain't that good, son. These people appeal to the flesh. They, 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 they're skilled in speaking. The, 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 the greater part of our text today was Paul talking about these guys and the attacks they launched against him. Paul's not good. He ain't good looking. He can't talk. You know what I mean? He, he's not good at that stuff. That's, that's nothing. He doesn't charge. He doesn't charge any money when he speaks. Why not? Because his message isn't worth anything. They're launching these attacks, launching these attacks. Okay? Because they are good at those things. Have you ever noticed that when you turn on various ministries on TV, the fact is a lot of those people are pretty good looking. I mean, we're just talking the truth. They're appealing to your flesh. They sound good. They look good. Very polished up on the screen. Many, many years ago, Stephen and Smith and I went down to something that focused on the family put on. It was something called the Truth Project. And we walked in and it was done excellently. But I had this bad feeling and I had to work through it because that's dangerous. I'm not saying they were wrong in any way, shape, or form. But... There, there's a church on the north side, and I don't want to pick on anybody, but the commercial they have shows from a, a, a camera from way up above, and they got this great big platform, and there's spotlights spinning around. Are you kidding me? It's a show. It's nothing but a show, but it appeals to us. Don't fall for that. Don't go in for something that looks good, that sounds good. It has to be the Word of God. It has to be. That's your rock right there. The Bible, okay? 
We're going to run out of time, sure as anything. Let's keep going, okay? They are marked by false doctrine. False teachers bring false doctrine. I'm going to read you this as, as, as succinctly as I can. This is what the Mormons say about Jesus. Mormons believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the creator of the world. No problem. However, this is from there. I was going to put this on the screen and I was quite frankly like, I'm not doing it. I want anybody to see it and get confused. However, Mormons hold the unique belief that God the Father and Jesus Christ are two distinct beings. Mormons believe that God and Jesus Christ are wholly united in their perfect love for us, but that each is a distinct personage with his own perfect glorified body. Mormons believe that all men and women ever to be born, including Jesus Christ, lived with God as his spirit children before this life. That is not biblical. That is heretical, damning doctrine. But it started out by saying they believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the creator of the world, which is true. It's going to be a mishmash. It's going to be deception. The Jehovah's Witnesses, John 1.1. 1, 1. John 1.1 1, 1 says what? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Some of you know that. Their Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. A lesser God. That Jesus can't save you from hell. The Mormon Jesus can't save you from hell. Their gospel is no gospel. Don't fall for it. On the other hand... Let's go back to the fact that you, should, you are equipped if you come here, that you should know the Bible, you should know the gospel. They are as lost as lost can be. Know your Bible. Don't slam the door in their face. What's the difference between them and any other say, unsaved person? Would you slam the door in, some, in the face of somebody who has some innocuous question? You would, no, no, you know, but oh no, this guy's loaded for bear and I can't handle myself. I'll slam the door. I had a, I, I, I geared up for all this and it was a couple months ago, these two young girls came to our front door and I didn't know who they were. And, and they, I opened the door and she said, hi. And she had a little card in her hand, a business card that said JW.org, Jehovah's Witnesses. And she said, I, we, are you, what'd she say to me? Something like, are you, do you know who we are or do you know who we're with? Or, and I said, I know who you're with and I, I totally disagree because Jesus is the son of God and he is God. And she looked at me and she said, well, thank you, have a nice day. And they turned around and I wanted to go, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, wait, let's throw down here. Let's get into this. You know, but they left. But that's what we need to do. Tell them the truth. Just plant that seed, okay? Plant the seed. You've got the truth and they don't. They are deceived. So don't slam the door in their face, all right? Okay. 1 Timothy 4 says this, and I've said it before. The Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. It's a different spirit, okay? It's a different Holy Spirit. It's a different gospel. 
I already said, 1 Corinthians 15, I delivered to you as the first importance all, what I also received. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. That's the gospel. Nothing else. All right? The last thing about these guys, and you see this, okay? I pray no one ever gets this far. They are marked. Look at verse 20 of, first, of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Okay? This is terrible, but it's the truth. This is as bad as it gets. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 20. Paul says, For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours of you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face, which was a form of insult in the day. You bear with it. Why? Because you've bought into their whole thing. And now you're bowing to them. And all of a sudden, the sweethearts turn around and show who they really are. This is how people die in cults. This is the David Koresh's of the world. This is the Jim Jones of the world. You buy into it. You buy into it. You buy into it. And they turn on you and turn into the wolves that they are. My friends, again... The word of God is what you need, not some false, whacked out philosophy from some guy you don't know. Okay? 1 Peter chapter 5. This is what, this is what leaders should look like. You don't need to turn there because we don't, we're out of time. But 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter says to the elders, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory in the glory that's going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock, that's, uh, shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. If any leader in this church, if you sense for one minute they're doing those, being domineering, hey, hey, you know, you need to listen to me and pound and, you know, say something to somebody else. Men make mistakes, okay? But you have to stand up and say, this didn't feel right. This church suffered greatly many years ago when the pastor went down the wrong road and no one said anything. And we vowed we would never have that happen again. It has to happen in the pew first, okay? All right. If you'll turn to uh, chapter 11, verse 7 through 11, I want to get to these next parts uh, somewhat quickly. The marks of a true apostle. True apostles, true leaders are marked by humility, truth, and love. Okay, verse, and I'm just going to talk through this a little bit. Paul says this, did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? Remember what I said about those guys? They're like, well, he's not worth anything. He said, I robbed, and he's being kind of silly here. I robbed, quote unquote, other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you because he's basically still planting the Corinthian church. And so he's not going to ask any money from, from, from them, okay? He says, and when I was with you and was in need, I still didn't burn anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained, and I will refrain from burdening you in any way. 
Verse 10, as the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia, of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you. God knows I do. So he's saying, I'm not going to charge you anything. Why? Because I love you. The leader should love his congregation. I'm not going to lay a burden on you. And that's what these guys would do. Okay? In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul said, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. I mentioned that earlier. It has to come from the word of God. There's no eloquence here. There's no look at me. It's all that. Okay, look at verse 12, though. Because this is the big, hey, but, hang on a minute, okay? He says, and what I am doing, which is not charging, I will continue to do. Why? In order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. So Paul, I'm talking about humility. Paul was very humble. This whole chapter when he's like, keeps saying, this is insanity, this is insanity, or whatever he's saying that, you know, I don't like doing this. I don't like defending myself. He goes, but you know what? If I got to, I will, because I'm going to knock these guys out. Here's, John Calvin said this a bazillion years ago. He said, the pastor has to have two voices, one for the sheep and another for the wolves. Okay? So if you ever hear a leader speaking harshly, there's concern there. You've got to be able to go after these guys because if they get the sheep, the sheep could be led astray or dragged astray. Okay? You just got to keep that in mind. All right. Let's look down here at verses 21 through 29. A true apostle is marked by humility, truth, and love and suffering. Paul says this in verse 21. But whatever else, whatever anyone else dares to boast of. And then he says, this is insane. That's in essence what he's saying. He goes, I also dare to boast of that. And now he's saying, this is what they're saying about themselves, and I'm going I'm to take them on. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Because these guys were saying, well, I'm all these things, and this is what an apostle is. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Now get this part. Are they servants of Christ? And I'm just going to speak in my own words. Are they, quote unquote, servants of Christ? Well, I'm a better one. This is nuts that I'm even allowing to say that. But that's what they're saying, so I'm going to say it. They're saying they're servants of Christ. And he just says, I'm talking like a madman. Okay? But he says, I'm a better one then. With far greater labors, and listen to these things, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, dangers in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many many a sleepless night, and hunger and thirst, often without food, and cold and exposure. Those are the marks of a true apostle. 
Not the fancy stuff. You wouldn't find these false apostles coming into town. I'll, I'm going to name a name here because he's the main guy out there. There's a guy named Joel Osteen. And he is everywhere. And he is a heretic. And he is a false apostle. And there's a bunch of them out there, but he is the marquee guy right now. And that's why I'm, I'm, I'm mentioning his name. Okay? I don't think he suffered a whole lot. I don't know his personal life. But I don't think he's having trouble, trouble paying the bills. Okay? Look at verse 28. Paul says, apart from other things, this is a pastor's heart, folks. He says, there's a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. He just thinks about this incessantly. He's so concerned. He planted all these churches and he's worried about them. He says, who is weak and I'm not weak? That's a, it's a, like a hypothetical question. He says, who is made to fall? And, and our text says, and I am not indignant. He says, basically, who is weak? And it doesn't bother me. Doesn't bother me that the people that in the churches that I planted are not full grown and are susceptible to these things. And that doesn't bother me. He says, and the next question, who is made to fall? How many of them have fallen? And that doesn't upset me. He says, absolutely, it upsets me. Breaks his heart. That's really what he's saying in the beginning of that, when, when he says the, daily, the anxiety and the daily pressure of, on the churches. Here's an interesting thing, though. If you want to look at what a true apostle is, and, and, and the, 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 um, the false apostles were saying, well, Paul's not a real apostle. If, and you don't need to turn to Matthew 10, because we're going to run out of time. But listen to what Jesus said about true apostles. When he sent out the apostles... He said, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. You can, if you want to look at this later, it's Matthew 10, Matthew 10, verses 16 through 18. He said, I'm sending you out in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents, serpents and innocent as doves. But listen, he says, beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And if you look at Paul's life, that's exactly what Paul went through. He was the real deal. Okay? Finally, folks, I said it was your responsibility. It is the Christian's responsibility to know the difference. So what do you do? you got to test the spirits and you got to know Jesus. 1 John chapter 4 says this. Please take this to heart. God, please help probably do this. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. It takes us all the way back to the beginning of our text. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see that whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. But this you know... By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Start there. Acts 17 says this. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, but they were examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. We want to hear what you have to say. Fine, but go look it up. 
It's the same thing as when, when you're, you're, you're dealing with a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon or whoever it is. You can listen, but you, be able to, you have to know your word to shoot back. Again, you're helping them as well. Hosea said this, chapter 4. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject from being, you from being a priest to me. He said that obviously to the priest. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will forget your children. But the point is his people are destroyed because they don't know. It is the leader's responsibility, but it is your responsibility as well. To know, to work at it. Finally, I said this before, know Jesus. There is no salvation, there, excuse me, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We're called Christians because it's Jesus Christ. He is our Savior, He is our everything. Don't accept any substitutes. Be on guard. Watch your walk. Watch what you listen to. Watch what you watch. I, I, my, my whole world is for people to know this book. I, I can't tell you. This is everything. This is life and death. Not death on the earth. Eternity. What God did for us and... and Killing his son for us is beyond anything we could describe. Don't accept anything different. Let's pray for ourselves and we'll be finished. Father, you've given us your word and you've given us your son. And through those things you've given us eternal life. We thank you so much for the Lord's Supper. We thank you so much, God, that you saved Jason. I thank you so much that you've brought these guys here today from Hebron. I thank you for everyone in this congregation. We belong to you. God, protect us. May the leaders of this congregation be in full protection mode at all time and be aware of what's going on. And may the people in this congregation be the same way. And may we love each other as you've called us to and hold each other accountable because we love each other. God, we want to glorify you and honor you. We can't do that if we, if we followed someone else. Keep this church pure. As painful as it is, Father, where there is error pointed out to us, Father, where there are wolves in our midst, show them to us. Remove them from this church. God, we thank you for everything in Jesus' name. Amen.